BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Despacito Quiero respirar tu cuello despacito Deja que te diga cosas al oído Para que te acuerdes si no estás conmigo Welcome everyone, it's Jack Rico and thanks for listening to episode 41 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. If you are a first-time listener to this U.S. Latino pop culture show, then welcome, bienvenidos. That was obviously Despacito. If you haven't heard the song, then I don't know what planet you're living on. Uh, the song is now the most streamed song in the history of music. I have senior media reporter from the New York Post, Claire Atkinson, who's uh, on the phone today with me, who wrote about it in the paper just to break down for me how the song became that big and how much money she thinks Bieber made from the summer hit. Also on the show, I talked to Colombian director Tomas Reyes, who did an English language documentary about healthy living uh, it's called Beyond Food. It's number five right now on iTunes. And as soon as I saw it, I'm not going to lie, I felt extremely guilty, you know, about the way I was carrying my own lifestyle, what I was eating. Uh, I just wasn't working out as much. And this is the movie, the documentary that literally inspired me to kind of just get off my ass and start walking, start getting some sun. Uh, and stop working so much, to be quite honest with you. But before we talk Despacito, there's all sorts of news that came out of this week. Uh, the San Diego Comic-Con kicked off this week, and word is that Netflix and HBO are going to be making their presence felt. Spielberg, who rarely goes to a Comic-Con convention, uh, is coming out to promote his new film, Ready Player One. If you haven't heard about the film, it's really about a virtual reality game based on a novel. Um, also, the cast of Blade Runner 2049 is going to be on hand, so you can expect Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford to be there. Uh, the Justice League is also going to be making their presence felt. They'll be there. Obviously, the big draw is going to be Ben Affleck. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard about what's been going on with Ben. Ben had to somehow like retire or, or just leave a project uh, that he already had uh, committed to. Uh, for the reasons of wellness and to spend more time with his family. If you've been seeing him, he doesn't look like Batman at all. Uh, you know, he looks like uh, he's going through something. But besides that, PBS is going to be broadcasting nationally the 30th annual Hispanic Heritage Awards, October 6th. I don't even think I've seen one show. Uh, Guillermo del Toro has released a new trailer for his new movie, The Shape of Water. It's a fantasy romance. Think Amelie, but as a thriller. That's what this movie feels like. Also, Dominican novelist Junot Diaz uh, has a new book out, but it's not a novel. It's a picture book. It's a picture book called Island Born. It's only 48 pages. 
Uh, and it's been, I believe it's been 10 years since he's put out anything. And so for him to come out with a picture book is a bit bizarre. But then again, bizarre is the fact that I haven't read The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde yet. I know, don't kill me. Uh, I'll do it at some point. There's also a new Latina princess on Disney's Once Upon a Time on ABC. Uh, and she's La Dominicana Dania Ramirez. I'm not sure if you've seen her. She's been on NBC's Heroes. Uh, she's also been on The Sopranos. So great to have a first live-action Latina that Disney puts out. And in my mind, this is the craziest story of them all. Latina Magazine hasn't paid their employees in nearly a month, according to a report that I saw in the New York Post. From what I read, their president quit, and these new presidents that took over aren't even guaranteeing to pay their employees the full amount. This is terrible news for Latin magazines and Latin websites. I mean, seriously. They're like an extinct species at the moment. There, there, there's rarely any left. Um, I think that the future of these Latin websites is that they're all going to be kind of be rolled up into one and included into their general American mainstream news platforms. Like, for example, uh, Huffington Post voices will probably be a part of just Huffington Post. They're going to get rid of these, you know, verticals. All that's going to go. It's all going to be wrapped up into one website where you're going to be getting stories from the gay community, stories from the Asian community, stories from the black community, stories from the Latino community. And I think that's going to be sort of the way things are going to head uh, down into the future. Let's see. I might be wrong. Uh, but on a side note, O.J. Simpson was released from jail after eight years the media has been trying to make this uh, an obsession again. I don't think it's going to work. At least I won't buy it. I'm not jumping into that rabbit hole at all. It is interesting to know that supposedly he's moving to Florida so he can keep his $300,000 pension. How is he even getting that money? It's interesting. The whole thing's interesting. But I begin with my interview with Tomas Reyes and his health documentary, Beyond Food. It's one of the most neutral food and health docs I've seen so far. You know how most docs, most food docs do a great expose on the American health system, et cetera, et cetera? Well, this one is really just about enlightening people. And they break it down into three main factors that we should all be doing right now. We traveled all over the U.S. on a mission to interview a group of extraordinary people brave pioneers challenging mainstream health advice and sat with them for in-depth interviews. We personally knew this journey would change us, but we never imagined the degree to which our lives would improve. Without further ado, Tomas, thanks for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. So uh, it sounds like you're in L.A. I hear the birds chirping, so you must be in a very zenful, peaceful place. Uh, <laughs> explain to me how you and your co-director, Juan Carlos Paredes, uh, decided to go on a journey on this odyssey of yeah. talking about food. Well, not even food, but sort of like a lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle that is broken down into many things that you have here, biohacking, living food, wild, etc. Why did you decide? Why did two Latinos decide to create a documentary in English for everyone uh, about the subject matter? Yeah, well, I moved I moved to New York in 2009 from Tokyo and I put on about 20 pounds in the first year and I was wondering why, you know? Of course, the portions in the US are a little bigger than in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, is the capital but, of processed foods? Yeah, and I put on a ton of weight and I started doing research on food and health and I started juicing and I, I almost considered becoming vegan 
you know, it didn't work for me. I tried for a few days. But I was like, why? Why didn't it something. work for you? Because, um, you know, I didn't know. I, I didn't have enough knowledge. Uh, I've been cooking since I'm eight years old, but but I've, I haven't really I, I hadn't done enough research. And and I started I started doing research and reading this guy's book and this other book. I, I read uh, Rich Rolls, Finding Ultra, and I was doing all this other research. And then I talked to Juan, and Juan was here in L.A., and he was also doing a bunch of research on health, on ultimate health and biohacking. And we were like, oh, my God, we need to do something about this. No one is telling this story. And, and, and let's change the conversation a little bit from doing another documentary about pushing one dietary agenda. Mm-hmm. And let's go, let's go talk to every single person that is amazing and is creating extraordinary health. No matter what they, whether what their belief system is, you know, mm-hmm. no matter whether they're paleo or vegan or you know, athletes, celebrities, scientists, and so on and so forth. And and this was in a, towards the end of 2012, and so we ended up at the first biohacking conference ever at the beginning <laughs> of 2013. And biohacking is the art of understanding your nervous system, understanding your biology, and trying to control it to a certain extent knowing that everything in your environment obviously including food is affecting your biology and it's affecting not only you right now but it will affect and this is scientifically scientifically proven it will affect generations down the line if you have children wow. it's in your genes it's called it's the it's a branch called epigenetics it's the expression of your genes and we carry stuff from our ancestors as well, up to like 14 generations or more, you know? What separates this uh, documentary from the dozens and dozens of documentaries out there in the subject matter of food and, and, and health? Uh, we have a non-discrimination kind of policy to our documentary. We didn't want to, we, we wanted to replace judgment with curiosity so mm-hmm. let's go talk to all these people who have created amazing health and transformed their lives in the u.s and and sit down for deep conversations for an hour or two and and listen to them to what they have to say to what they have found out about creating amazing health no matter what they do you know so uh you know there's the biohackers there's the paleo there was uh, a, a few vegan ultra athletes who are amazing people and, and to realize that there's only one health, really, and it's unique to you, and it belongs to you. So it, in a way, we wanted our documentary to be a piece of personal empowerment so that you're not looking for the magic bullets that's going to solve your life, but you're going to get excited about the adventure of discovering your own health, your own amazing health. Right. And, and knowing that there's so many options. What did you, know? you learn from this experience? What did you and Juan learn from this experience? Uh, how much of it did it change both of your lives? Oh, it, it completely revolutionized our lives. Because wow. we, you know, in, in terms not only of, of the food that we eat, but the, the way we live, you know, like, you know that I always say, if I'm only eating clean food, I'm not experiencing extraordinary health. Amazing health really is about food. It's about my daily rituals. It's about my choices, my habits, uh, the quality of my sleep, and so much more, you know? Mm -hmm. So it gave us that kind of amplified view on health. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, also our like emotional well-being and how present we are for everything we're experiencing on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. So it's such an exciting time to to talk about this and to be alive because we're experiencing this scientific revolution and we're getting every day more insight mm-hmm. into into of course i mean the other documentaries like food inc and some of the other ones that expose the food industry and how how you know appalling some of the food industry processes are but i think we're ready to like okay so we already know that what's the solution you know what what, or what are the solutions and and our objective was really to to kind of spark that curiosity in in people. What I noticed about this production is that it's not backed up by Columbia Pictures or Sony Picture Classics. You know, it, this looks no. like it was done by you guys. How much did it cost you guys to do this documentary, and how much time did you spend doing it? Yeah, we didn't. We started. It cost us about three hundred thousand. <laughs> And did you have the and, money or did you have to fund it? Uh, we had some of the money. Uh, we we decided to just jump in it. We were like, no one is telling a story. You and I are the perfect, you know, we're here and we're ready to tell this story. Let's just do it. And we started calling people and emailing everyone. And it was just a labor of love. And we kept on working. I had some photo shoots here and there. And Juan had some work there. And we had some savings and credit cards. And, and, and then we traveled the U.S. for a year and a half. Wow, so this really flew. was Yeah, it was a labor of love and sweat and absolute, you know, commitment. There was nothing else going on in our lives. We were like, this is our mission, we're gonna do this. <laughs> What's been the feedback on this documentary? Well, what you said, you know, it's kinda like it's a fresh look on all these amazing ideas and possibilities that are out there. Mm-hmm. That's what, what people like. Um, when we interviewed uh Marielle Hemingway um, she said here in Calabasas, she said that that's what exactly what she liked that, you know, that there was no, no judgment or like, or agenda. we have the solution or agenda or anything. It was more like, let's have a, let's have a kind of a more whole picture of, of what extraordinary health looks like and, and, you know, see that there are solutions, there are options and, you know, kind of move, Taking away the guilt, the right. shame, the, you know. Before you and I started talking, we, we we sort of connected on the fact that we're both Colombian. You're from Cali, Colombia. My parents are from uh, Barranquilla, Colombia. Yeah. In my per, in my personal experience, it wasn't about maybe till about four or five years ago. I walked into a Costco, and as I'm at the teller at the counter, uh, getting ready to pay, I see these really fat little kids. They were very yeah. obese, man. I mean, they were round. They, they were like, yeah. you, you almost wanted to laugh at them because they looked like they were injected with 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 a hose of water. They were walking around like like you know they, they were wobbling, and I, I just looked at them. I said, "Wow, these kids are pretty fat." And then I looked at the parents, and the parents were just as obese. And oh, it wow. started hitting me that the Latino community, unfortunately, and and by the way, they were also buying pizza and hot dogs. And that's yeah. where the connection happened to me. And I said, wow. Unfortunately, because of poverty uh, and because of low income, a lot of Latino families and a lot of minorities in this country have to eat processed foods. And therefore, they become obese. But when you become obese at the age of 10, you can only imagine what your lifespan is going to be. Uh, oh, you're going to totally, die early. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, you start sort of focusing and reading a lot more literature and research on uh, on child obesity. Now, in Colombia, we were t- we were talking about the story of how unfortunately 
uh, a lot of our families and our friends and, and a lot of the residents of, of, of our country don't eat well. So a documentary like this, it's in English, but it's not in Spanish. What are you guys doing to sort of educate uh, Latin Americans and Latino families in the United States uh, when they tell you that the number one thing, the reason they eat McDonald's is because it's cheap. It's $10 for the whole family and, and everybody can eat. And it's a short-term goal, but they're affecting themselves long-term. Spanish is one of the four first languages that the documentary is going to be trans, uh, subtitled in. Awesome. And, and you know, hopefully that'll help. Uh, it's really unfortunate that we're so disconnected from from the food chain, from the food cycles. You know, we're hardly anyone. Who who do you know in New York who grows food? There's very few people. Only upstate know? New York. Yeah. So uh, you got Manhattan a few rooftops right. and right, right, Brooklyn or the Lower East Side and stuff like that. But those are very, very exceptional people. Um, the same here in LA. You know, you see so many front yards, and it's just grass when California is experiencing a drought. The, the most reasonable, the most sensible thing to do would be to grow some veggies. You know, it's not it's not that hard, but I'm hopeful that it's going more mainstream and there's more and more access today to organic vegetables and grass fed meats and wild fish. And for people to understand that if you're not eating very, very uh sort of wild meats and mm -hmm. organic vegetables you're putting so many toxins and so much poison in your body and it, for people to get and get out to nature i wasn't doing that in new york i was too consumed by the city also and i wasn't getting out to nature enough and right and that really helps as well yeah because central um, park doesn't just cut it <laughs> it doesn't yeah. cut it <laughs> you have to really get into the wild what kind of diet yeah. are you on or what kind of lifestyle health lifestyle are you on at the moment, I I kind of take from the paleo diet, which which is a diet that essentially is wants to. Okay, um, a little bit of history. The big argument is that agriculture, the agricultural revolution from ten thousand years ago, mm -hmm. did a big disservice to humanity. Wow. Okay. We we had a super dynamic diet when we were hunter gatherers. We we would eat like, you know, 20 different types of fish and 30 different reptiles and 50 types of birds and berries and all these amazing things that were available. And then we moved on to an agricultural lifestyle. And, and of course, it allowed for human populations to grow and cities to become places of trade and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But the human diet just got completely reduced to some grains, occasionally some dairy and and some meat every now and then and so we went from a super dynamic diet to a very limited and ultimately very inflammatory diet mm -hmm. you know there's a fascinating book that just came out by dr stephen gundry and it's called the plant paradox i i totally recommend it if you want to read something that's mind-blowing and it talks about lectins and it talks about plants and how plants Plants can't run for their life, you know, the way fish or animals can. <laughs> right. So they develop defenses. I'd freak out if I would see a plant just. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't mean that plants can't create their own defense mechanisms. So plants create something, uh, create toxins, you know. Uh, they're called lectins. The, the most famous lectin is gluten. <laughs> oh, you know, and, okay. And so and there gluten. goes the gluten-free, right. 
Yeah, and gluten has taken like the the whole, you know, gluten is the culprit. But um, what Dr. Gundry exposes is that there's lectin in so many vegetables and there's so many inflammatory things that, that plants are just creating to protect themselves. So I essentially, in terms of food, I eat a lot of vegetables, um, you know, once or twice a week, I eat red meat, but I either if it's beef or lamb, I may make sure it's pastured, it's grass-fed. Mm-hmm. I will not eat any food from any meat from a feedlot because it's horrible. I mean, imagine a cow that is living with another 10,000 cows on mud because there's no grass. Right. And they're being fed corn. And because they eat corn, they get sick. And so they're pumped with antibiotics and growth hormone. And all sorts of other stuff because they've been um, because they're sick. You know, a cow is an animal that, evolutionary speaking, has been on Earth for thousands of years eating grass, and all of a sudden it's being fed ice cream. You know, <laughs> God, how it's kind of like your Costco. It's kind of like your Costco story. Yeah, no, it's and- being fed. It's being fed junk food. Yeah, and then we're eating that. And so we're eating the hormones, we're eating the toxins, we're eating the antibiotics, we're eating their corn, and the fact that they're stressed. And you're eating all the pesticides and all the toxins that are in the corn as well because we're just one ecosystem. So all that is (laughs) transmitted from one animal to the other. And they talk about the stress that these cows, chickens, porks, you know, all the beef, all all the meats, all the protein that we're eating – because they're miserable, they're angry, you know, they, 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 they don't of see course. the light of day. So uh, yeah. in, in one of the segments called Biohacking, there was this yeah. gentleman uh, that talked about high-fat diets. Yeah. <laughs> this was really ridiculous, and I, wanna, I, want, I want you to kind of sort of clear the air for me. This yeah. guy said that he got a six-pack by eating yes. a high-fat diet, sleeping yes. only five <laughs> hours of sleep instead of eight, and didn't yeah. work out for two years and consumed 4,000 calories. I ate 4,000 calories a day for two years straight. I slept five hours or less per night and I stopped working out. And I actually grew a six pack. Was he lying? Was he exaggerating? Or no. how did he manage to do that? When you when you were talking about Colombia and you were saying, you know, all these like fried things and all these fats and all, so we got, you got to talk about quality of fats, right? Like, it's not the same to eat grass-fed butter and coconut oil and pasture and grass-fed lard. Um, you know, Eskimos, they, they survive on whale blubber and fat and, mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. But what, uh, what Dave Asprey and the Bulletproof Diet and other ketogenic diets do is essentially you, you mainly get energy in your body from two sources, either sugar or fat, right? Mm-hmm. So you either consume, you know, everything has a little bit of carbs. Um, um, but if you cut the sugars out, your body can get into ketosis, into a ketogenic state. And that's your body is reaching for fat as fuel as opposed to carbohydrates, as opposed to sugar. Mm-hmm. So when you do that, you enter this fat burning mode, which many people, it's kind of, it's a, it's a growing trend in the Bay area and here in California and, and Austin and New York and other places. Um, it's definitely not mainstream, like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> but, um, 
but it is it is a very effective diet and it's a diet that was uh, created originally in the 20th century by doctors wanting to treat kids with uh, epile- epileptic disorders or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to learn about it and, and it's it's a very high fat diet where 70% of your calories come from fat. But you know, everything has fat, like an egg yolk and so you would uh, combine a ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting, which is eating in an eight hour window. Mm-hmm. So for example, that's what I was applying, by the way, it was like a 14 hour fast. I would, I would only eat between yeah. 12 PM and 8 PM. And then after 8 PM, I would go on this yep. 14 fast diet. And then you start incorporating yeah. food into your body, but you can almost eat anything within that time frame. But if yeah. you keep it healthy, it's even better. And you start noticing totally. this alertness. You start noticing this energy that comes to you. Dude, and I lost like That's 10 awesome. pounds within that yeah. month and a half that I did that. It's hard to maintain, yeah, but fasting, wow, yeah. the effects fasting are amazing. Is, is very, you're, you're giving your body a break. You're allowing, you're allowing room for cellular regeneration. And, you know, it's so good mm-hmm. for you. I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing intermittent fasting. I've been, I have been doing it for like three weeks and I don't do it all the time, but I kind of cycle it and it feels really good. You know, it's kind of like, no, listen, Jesus Christ fasted, you know, and, and there's so many, there's so many benefits. Uh, uh, why not experience this? Why not, you know, get that curiosity and that just, Oh, let me try this, you know, and see how it feels. And because the, for the first reaction, he's like, oh, my God, I think I'm going to die if I don't eat for three days. You know? That's crazy. So, Tomas, if you had one piece of advice to cor- incorporate in the lives of our listeners that are listening to this podcast right now, what would that be? I think I would say, you know, we are alive. We get to experience this awesome thing, which is being human. <laughs> and and we have this freedom, you know, and and we're only here for a little bit life goes on goes by so fast and and there's only so much time so i would say just displace all judgment and and discrimination that you may have and and curiously enjoy this adventure of of being alive and creating your own health you know and eating delicious food that's going to make you feel amazing and 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 find like the daily kind of rituals that make you really happy i mean Everything that kind of feels makes you feel turned on, like makes you feel alive. I would say that's that's the the main. Absolutely, Tomas Reyes uh, directed this documentary with his uh, co-director Juan Paredes. He also narrates it. Uh, the documentary is called Beyond Food. It's an exploration of health and personal empowerment. Uh, the documentary comes out on video on demand July 18th. Do yourselves a favor, folks. Go check out this documentary. It's done by two Latinos, one of them Colombian and Tomas. Juan is also Colombian. Oh, my gosh. So from two Colombians. That is yeah, just... Yeah, he's Colombian-American. Uh, I'm Colombian-Colombian. Uh, thank you so much for doing this documentary. If you want, guys want to know more about it, go to beyondfoodthemovie.com. It's also on Facebook. There is no excuse. You can always improve your health, your diet, and your just your whole being if you start eating better. And hopefully, uh, Beyond Food... Food, this documentary will help you begin that process. Tomas, thank you so thank much you for being so on the much, podcast. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. It was amazing. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to share this with everyone. Mm-hmm.
Before we talk to Claire Atkinson from the New York Post about Despacito's historic rise, here are some new songs you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Give me Quiero un beso, Grupo Extra, DJ Cali. Miracles, Someone Special, Coldplay, featuring Big Sean. Rompe los niveles, Cabas, featuring December Bueno. Joining me now is a senior media reporter at the New York Post, Claire Atkinson. Claire, I uh, just read an article from you about Despacito on the New York Post. Uh, does it blow your mind how much this song has taken off? It, it really does. And I think the statistics in the in the New York Post story that I wrote today really kind of lays it out that this song um, is is topping the charts after just kind of six months on the radar. That to me is amazing. And, and just to kind of give you some of those statistics, um, YouTube, uh, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, you add all those together and you get 4.6 billion streams, oh which is a God. stunning amount of uh, people out there. <laughs> clicking on that video and I think the video is is part of the magic of the song as well now when was the first time that you actually heard the song do you remember when you first heard it I actually read about it before I listened to it sadly um, but I'm a huge fan of Latin music I'm actually English mm -hmm. but I love Latin culture and I grew up with Julio Iglesias oh of and, course of and course and Enrique when I first came to the States <laughs> about 20 years ago and so I do keep an eye on, um, you know, what songs are out there. And, and just kind of as an aside today, um, I love Maluma. And I just oh, heard yeah. from like Sony ATV. They just signed global publishing rights for him. So I think, you know, the, Despacito, the success of Despacito will open the doors for many, many artists. And, and I hope that um, they get wider recognition in the, in the mainstream market. Now, as I was reading your article, it said that Universal Music kind of put this statement out uh, because somehow, and you know, here's where you can correct me if I'm wrong. YouTube makes their own statements. You know, YouTube will put out uh, yes. a, a press release saying, you know, such and such video is the most watched video in history. Universal Music decided to go in a different route. They started to kind of kind of stitch together various platforms. Am I correct yes. in that? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's very interesting that, you know, YouTube crowned uh, with the Wiz Khalifa song, See You Again, um, as the number one most listened to uh, song topping Gangnam Style, which had had that position. I remember for five that. Years. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of those like insanely compelling music videos. But I think people really connected with the Wiz song because I mean I think it talks about loss, and I guess you know the video is not so amazing, but the song is is all about something we can all connect with, and that's about losing someone. And so I mean I, you know the take I had on my story today uh, in the New York Post was that. You know, while YouTube can crown a song the most listened to, here we had a music label saying, well, actually, YouTube is just part of the picture here. And there are many, many other places that people stream and listen to music. And they wanted to kind of say, 
you know, how about these other places, Spotify, Vivo, Apple Music, they all count. And let's count them all up and see just how big of a, you know, how big of a deal Despacito is. I mean, I don't think we'll have long even before Despacito tops the YouTube-only charts. I mean, one of the, the reasons why this song keeps uh, jumping up the charts is because there are a lot of remixes. We have, like, the dance version, the original version, the Justin <laughs> right. Bieber version. And um, I'm sure you watch YouTube videos, and when you come to the end of one, YouTube serves you up another. You don't just right. end it. It's autoplay. It. It's the whole yeah, thing about autoplay. Auto right. Exactly. And I think, you know, that that has kept people watching. They want to see another song by Luis Fonsi, or they want to uh, see another Bieber song, and it keeps people there. So... I, I, I dislike the street. feature. I dislike the feature of the autoplay because it doesn't give me the option to whether I should play it or not. It just plays it on its own and then it counts it as a stat as opposed exactly. to me uh, deliberately looking for the song and then playing it. So, you know, yeah. it's dubious the way kind of YouTube does it. Do you feel that what Universal Music is credible or do you think... It, there's some shade and some skepticism behind it. Well, I guess one, I don't doubt that the numbers are credible because I, I doubt that Universal Music would share them with the world. Um, I didn't, I wasn't able to get a breakdown of, you know, how many are on Spotify and how many are on Apple Music. Um, but one, one of the things that really blew me away is that if YouTube is racking up like close to 3 billion um, streams for these top songs, then... Uh, you know, if we're looking at 4.6 billion for the top streamed, most streamed song, mm -hmm. Despacito, then that is a lot of extra listening from other platforms. Absolutely. You, you know, that's like um, around 1.8 billion additional streams from everybody else, which is not insignificant. So I think that's kind of worth bearing in mind. Absolutely. But I'd like to ask you, what do you love about the song? You know, okay, well, you know, I've had so many uh, conversations about this. I, Initially, when the song hit in Spanish, it was just Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee. Uh, the song definitely did have a quality, a rhythm, a dance beat yeah. that was very catchy. And once that catchiness sort of sets into the groove of your body, of your mind, yeah. and you start moving left to right, it's very difficult to kind of remove it. So, yeah. you know, I enjoyed it. I thought that within the Spanish language realm, I thought it was a hit song. And it was just another, you know, great tune of the summer that, that I thought was going to be, you know, was going to do well. Once he got there, that's when I started questioning whether Bieber wanted to do this for business purposes to kind of up his profile uh, within the Spanish language market, within the Latino market, which, you know, is very powerful. And when all these stories, even in the New York Post that I started seeing where he was at One Oak at the nightclub and they had yeah. asked him to sing the song and he kept on saying Doritos and burritos. It was a major it. slap in the face for uh, all the Latinos. It was a Absolutely. disrespect to the language. It was Learn an insult. <laughs> I mean, if I you're going to have yeah. a number one song... At some point, you're going to have to sing it somewhere. <laughs> so the I fact mean, it is, it's a great hook, but it is a complicated song if you don't speak Spanish to, to get the words out. I mean, I know a couple of words, but um, right. But isn't it weird for you? Isn't it bizarre, Claire, that he's never sang it in public? I think uh, they at threw, a late night show. Then they throw glass uh, uh, plastic bottles at him on stage. Well, when that he was a concert. 
But if you see, yeah. but but if you notice, he's never sang the song on a late night show, on a morning show, on the Today Show, on Good Morning America. Oh, Nowhere, there's never been a televised version of Justin Bieber singing the song. Now, yeah. uh, Luis Fonsi, Daddy Yankee have gone on The Voice on NBC to perform the song. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Th- there was. There's a problem here. Why doesn't Bieber want to be? Um, a part of the televised version of the song. So yeah. ultimately, I think the intention was for him to just collaborate, you know, visit and then get out. I don't think he's invested into the Latino community. I don't necessarily think that he's there for the long term. I, I did want to ask you this. Yeah. Do you think that Anglo audiences would have liked Despacito enough to take it to number one, regardless of Bieber being on the remix, just the original yeah. version of the song. Do you I think do. if really tell me why? I well, I just think, like you said, it's so insanely catchy. I think that um, Anglo's are in love with Latin culture, and I think that it could have it could have gone all the way. I mean, obviously Justin Bieber's involvement got it massive press and a lot more interest but i think it's proven that you um i mean in days gone by you used to have to rely on the radio to really promote um breakthrough artists and um uh, without the radio guys you couldn't do anything but i think we're seeing like a, a new world where streamers can actually break artists and decide what gets put on the most popular playlists and they have like a much uh, a a big growing influence on what becomes popular so i do think this song could have made it on its own and one interesting point about it is that when justin bieber got involved they remixed it and he added some english words which gave him like publishing rights on the song and a cut of the final wow he gets gets to be credited as a songwriter on despacito and he takes uh i think from memory it was like 20 25 percent of the uh the money from the song how much do you think he made then off of this? Uh, millions. I mean, a hit song can make at least a million dollars and, and upwards. So, um, Holy cow. Yeah. What, do, what do you think makes Justin Bieber such a hit machine, especially yeah, in remixes? That is a really good question. Because I got to be honest with you, I don't necessarily think that he has the greatest melodic of voices. I think he has an yeah. average voice. Yeah. So is it talent or is it fandom at this point? I think it's producers. I think he just works with like the right people. I mean, he did um, the latest album with Skrillex, right? And I think mm-hmm. he just hits on that sound at the moment that it's most popular, and he's in the mainstream with with that kind of sound that is is most popular at the time and modern is, and contemporary. Yeah, yeah, but it is kind of a a really amazing thing that you know he held the record on youtube once for baby and then mm-hmm. sorry is another huge hit and here he is again participating in the biggest uh song in history so he seems to have some good uh, business knowledge and wide appeal and final question do you think moving forward that spanish music has a future with uh, american audiences because Here's the thing, is that there's many that think that this has been the entry point, sort of the gateway to allow Spanish language artists, musicians, to now become part of the American mainstream fabric on the billboard charts. Is this a fluke, or do you think that the future of Spanish music is in good hands with the artists uh, that are up and coming for Anglo audiences? Absolutely. I mean, to me, to me, the... The, that reggaeton beat that you get with so many Latin songs is just irresistible on the dance floor. And when you hear it, you want to move. And so to me, like the language and the um, 
you know, whether it's Spanish or English, it's just that beat that gets you. And I think uh, Latin artists have kind of cottoned onto that and they realize it's a big seller. And, um, you know, to me, it's like the early days of hip hop was seeing again how uh, Spanish culture and, you know, when we talk about will it become mainstream? Well, you know, the majority of Americans are minorities. And so, I mean, to me, it is this, this song will represent an absolute flood of other hits. And I really hope that it does. Pasito a pasito, suave, suavecito, <laughs> no vamos pegando. Do you, do, you know the, do you know the words for it? That's about the only bit I know. <laughs> Claire, senior, senior media reporter for the New York Post, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant thank Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Bye. Take it easy. Thank you. Adios. Bye. Pasito a pasito, suave, suavecito, no vamos pegando, poquito a poquito. Cuando tú me besas, con esa destreza, yo quiero malicia con that's it for episode 41 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Tomas Reyes from Beyond Food and Claire Atkinson of the New York Post for passing by the show this week. And thank you guys for taking the time out to listen from your favorite streaming platform wherever you may be. If you like this U.S. Latino podcast, please share it on your social media apps. Tell your friends all about it. And if you can, please have them subscribe to the show. It depends on you to get the word out. Hope you enjoy your weekend and stay connected with us via showbizcafe.com. See you next week on another episode of Highly BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.